bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. Here at The New American, we take the most important news stories, we strip off the propaganda, and we bring you the truth. And that makes us one of the most censored and attacked publications in America. So if you enjoy the show, please share these episodes with others. Now, today, the Supreme Court is hearing cases that could wind up reducing or stripping regulatory agencies' rulemaking powers. Also, the mainstream media is having a meltdown over a report about how hot it was last year. We look at the truth about the weather and why you never hear it. We have all that coming up. Plus, John Burst Society CEO Bill Hahn will join us in a bit to discuss our anti-agenda 2030 win in Tennessee. But first, there's a lot of talk of world war in Europe this week. Sources in German and British governments are warning that a world war may erupt within the next few months or even years. According to German military documents obtained by Germany's Bild, which is the largest circulation newspaper in Europe, a world war between Russia and NATO could erupt as soon as next month. The military advises Germany to get ready. According to the scenario, Moscow could mobilize up to 200,000 new troops as soon as next month to attempt a major ground incursion to take Kiev in Ukraine. Afterward, Russian troops might line up along the borders of Poland and the Baltic states to make a play for the Baltics across Poland's strategic Suwalki Gap. The theory is that this could happen during the anticipated chaos of the American presidential election at the end of this year. The Suwalki Gap separates Belarus from Russia's strategic enclave Kaliningrad, and it would be a key control point in the event of any war between Russia and the West. Fighting in the Suwalki Gap, which is NATO territory, may then lead to mobilization of hundreds of thousands of troops across Eastern and Western Europe and the all-out war in the region by the summer of 2025. This, anyway, is what the German military document words can happen. Meanwhile, British Defense Minister Grant Shapps also warned this week that 2024 will be a major inflection point and that in five years' time, we could be looking at multiple theaters of war, including Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Shapps said that we find ourselves at the dawn of this new era. The Berlin Wall, a distant memory, but we have come full circle, moving from a post-war to a pre-war world. An age of idealism has been replaced by a period of hard-headed realism, end quote. Now, NATO is preparing accordingly, with the largest joint exercises since the end of the Cold War to be carried out in the coming months. The UK will be committing 20,000 troops to the exercises. Two potential events are especially creating concern of war among Europeans. One is the shift in U.S. focus from Europe to the Far East, specifically the defense of Taiwan and the Philippines against China. And the other is the likely re-election of Donald Trump which the Europeans believe will not only create social unrest by the end of the year that Russia will exploit, but it will also lead to NATO's dissolution. But as far as NATO is concerned, this week the multinational organization dismissed the document as a fictional training scenario. And a Russian spokesperson has called the contents of the document in the scenario complete nonsense. So joining me to discuss today's stories is the New American's executive senior editor, Steve Bonta. Welcome, Steve Bonta. Hello, Paul. So... I was kind of confused about that. Even if it is like a, a war game scenario, obviously a war game scenario would be based on the most likely real life scenario, would it not? Well, yeah. And I mean, we, we cited the two, two examples in the last week of this sort of thing, but there have been others. For example, rather mysteriously about, I think, two weeks ago or so, um, the Swedish government, one of the, the high ranking officials mm. in Sweden came out and warned the people there and said, 
we may be at war soon, or words to that effect. And it had, I think, reference to Sweden's apparently imminent accession to NATO and all that sort of thing. But there's clearly a growing concern that events that started two years ago with the Russian invasion of full, full-scale invasion of, of, of Ukraine, Ukraine. Um, may yet lead to something bigger and worse. And, and I mean, you know, it's being it's also been suggested that uh, that Europe is is entering in a new phase of 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 war comparable to other phases, you know, the Thirty Years' War back in the 1600s and the Napoleonic era in the late 1700s and early 1800s and all that kind of thing. Um, and this so is we'll all, see. And, and this is supposedly all prompted by Russia, I guess, wanting to expand. Now, is there some some theories, some ideas that Russia does want, in fact, like we said, the Baltic states back? Is that and then they won't stop there? Is this like a Hitler-esque scenario that, that, that well, they're imagining? I, I mean, you know, you, you, one always hesitates to draw exact parallels, but Putin has made no secret of the fact that he wants to reassemble as much as possible the old Soviet Union and the Russian Empire, which would, of course, include the Baltics, as well as other portions of Moldova, which is now an independent country, so it's kind of like Romania light, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for some reason, has not joined with Romania, although there's talk of, you know, the two countries actually joining because they speak essentially the same language and all this kind of thing. And then, of course, Ukraine and Belarus would also include a large chunk of Central Asia, the Caucasus, and so forth. I mean, the Russian Empire in its heyday and the Soviet Union after it were huge. And there's this notion that, I mean, the, the, it's the old-fashioned idea of irredentism that, you know, that we need to, re, to reassemble all of the lost parts, you know, that were taken from us in the past and all this kind of thing. And, and you know, Putin, I think, you know, that, that, that is one of his driving motives. But, you know, another is that he, I mean, people need to bear in mind that, you know, that Putin is not a nice guy. You know, I mean, saying he's the next Hitler is again overdrawn because you know unlike Hitler he hasn't committed genocide yet although what what he's doing in Ukraine is I think pretty horrible but um well, but he's certainly not a nice guy and he does have roots in the old Soviet Union and may yet prove to be the embodiment of what uh we were warned about uh, a long time ago by by Anatoly Golitsyn new, new in the, the book new lies for old that used to be we talked about that a lot here it used to be yeah. very current back up through the 90s this idea that that the, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the so-called fake. fall of communism was fake. Um, I'm not sure that's entirely true, but Galitsyn did say that he, as a you know, he was a former KGB, KGB guy. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I mean, the thing about the thing about Russia that you have to bear in mind is that there are two things that Russia does better than anyone, including us. Thing one: build missiles. They always have been good at building missiles. I mean, a lot of the rest of their military technology is seriously lags. I mean, yeah, as we yeah. see in the ground in Ukraine. Had, doesn't perform very well against yeah. Western weapons. Tanks backfire. But they've always <laughs> been, in terms of, you know, they actually deployed the first heat-seeking missile before yeah. our Sidewinder. I mean, they've always been good at building missiles. So they what? know how to do that. And I, I, I take Putin at his word when he says his hypersonics, his kinjals, and so forth, would, would perform as advertised. Number two, and this is critical, they are the world's masters at propaganda. Yeah. They are well, really, yeah. really good. And so I don't know if that's is, true anymore because oh, our is, subtle, sophisticated propaganda, I think in the future will be looked they, at they as are, pretty they good. They are, they are, to, to be sure, but yeah. they are really good at, you know, putting their thing, you know, exploiting Western and American mm. weaknesses and, 
and and playing into those kind of those things. Well, so, Steve, you know. Steve, what do we say to people who who are watching? And, and we have lots of people who are saying we wouldn't be dealing with any of this if the United States had not intervened in the mid 2010s with the color revolution there, and and have not propped up. Or I guess the idea is that the the West pushed Ukraine to apply for NATO a membership which is what triggered the whole thing. What do you say to that? That this, in a way, is the West's fault. This wouldn't be happening right now if we hadn't been involved. Well, I would say with appropriate caution, because these sorts of things are always are always based on hypotheticals, but I, I did a, a search on, on stories related to this topic for yeah. your recommendation this morning, and they all came up from, you know, all the news stories that were coming up were from, I mean, one was from something called Gl- Gl- was it geopoliticaleconomy.com or something, which which claimed it's completely unaffiliated, but if you look at all the all the stories, they're almost all anti-US. Mm. And a large proportion of them uh, were were pro-Cuba. So that's I thought was very that interesting. That is telling. Uh, okay. Another one I looked at was mint.com, which was which professed to have a video of Putin saying that, you know, that there had been a you know a treaty signed. We, and he used the word treaty, dogavor in Russian, but it was carefully translated in some as, as agreement. Mm. But he was claiming it was a treaty. But his audience was the, the Marxist uh, president of South Africa, and he's waving the paper around. And he says, well, I can't show it to you because it's confidential, but here is it, and this is what the Ukrainians are doing. And then, the, the, you know, the wicked, perfidious British came along, you know, Boris. Yeah, he uh, came and Johnson, scrapped it. Came along and scrapped it. So, you know, I, I, like the Washington that's just, Journal's so that's just one that. thread that, I, pull, uh, that mm. I tugged on and looked at all the original sources, and they're all coming from, uh, you know, well, one of the persons who made this claim was Ger- Gerhard Schrader, a former... Well, they didn't mention that Schrader is a big beneficiary of the Russian gas yeah. industry and a close personal friend of Putin. So, you know, you have to look carefully and circumspectly yeah. at claims like that. Well, that's that. why we're going to have a long conversation on Friday about this because yeah. this merits that. Thank you. Up next, will the Supreme Court come through and take away regulatory agencies' powers to create rules? Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men and strong women, But what does it mean for us in today's world? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World, for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer, available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call one 800 727 8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800 727 8783. In the United States, we have thousands of laws and rules. Unfortunately, a lot of those rules we never had a say in. They were created and injected into our lives by regulatory agencies like the EPA and others. 
Well, today, the Supreme Court is hearing two cases that could, in the end, reduce or strip regulatory agencies' power to make rules that we never agreed to. Join me to discuss these cases and what's at stake is the new American's legal scholar, Joe Wolverton. Welcome, Joe Wolverton. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here with you. Hey, so during uh, my younger days, one of the first things I did find out was this this, uh, this being that regulatory agencies, they create a lot of these laws, typically laws that we abide by. And I always found that very interesting because like, there was no representative government that ever said, okay, we're going to agree to this and that. But yet all these laws and rules, there's thousands of them, I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, we have to abide by. So is that what's at stake here? Can we actually finally get that out of the way? What's going on here? Well, I think that might be what's at stake. That might be what the Supreme Court does. In fact, the uh, writ of certiorari that they accepted, the uh, question that they're going to address primarily is can these executive agencies define uh, vagaries in the law, ambiguities? Can they define them? Because by doing that, they're essentially making their own law. Because frankly, Paul, the very first line of the Constitution clears all this up, but we don't pay attention to that. The, The very first line of the Constitution is all legislative power herein granted is vested in a Congress. And we have the non-delegation doctrine, which Congress can't take the authority granted to it and delegate it to another branch. But that's exactly what's happening with this Chevron doctrine and the uh, agencies taking it upon themselves to clear up any ambiguities in congressional acts. So what did the Chevron, the the Chevron case, correct me again if I'm wrong, that was in the 80s, right? And that kind of opened this up, right? How How did that come about? Tell us more about that. Yeah, 1984, basically it came down to there was an ambiguity in the Clean Air Act and the obviously the industrial side of the question wanted to define the act uh, to their favor and the administrative state wanted to define the act to its favor and what ended up happening is in the chevron case in 1984 uh, the supreme court a unanimous supreme court uh, basically said that in these cases of ambiguities the regulatory agency as long as it's being reasonable is the phrase they use, the word they use, as long as they're being reasonable, the regulatory agency can clear up the ambiguities as it sees fit. That became known as the Chevron Doctrine, and that opened the way for all of these alphabet agencies to essentially become laws unto themselves. So how did this, what this challenge come about? Uh, We have two cases, the Loper Bright and the Relentless case, uh, basically just saying that there is a deprivation of due process in the accumulation of legislative, judicial, and executive power in the hands of one agency, and that by doing this, the Chevron Doctrine is depriving the, uh, the corporations of due process. Well, but this was also brought about, was it a, a fisheries company? Right, because one of the uh, one of the regulations, let's not call them laws because that's giving them a status they don't deserve. Good but point. one of these regulations is that there needed to be monitors uh, for these fishing fishing companies, these fishing ventures. And that's all the law says, right? is that uh, these fishing ventures need to be monitored. Well, that became 
defined and executed by the agency as these fishing companies have to pay the salary of the federal monitor that will be uh, monitoring their activity. Now, that's not at all what the law says. But using the Chevron doctrine as the basis of support, the regulatory agency has required that the fishing ventures pay the salary of the federal oversight officials. Yeah, and and my understanding is that that would be that would cut in by like twenty percent of, of their profit, an astronomical amount. So they decided to try and do something about this, huh? Absolutely. I mean, it, it was more than overdue, and the fishing companies have every right to demand that uh, the this law be cleared up by the Supreme Court, particularly saving them so much money and taking, to be quite honest. You know, uh, taking the fangs out of these alphabet agencies that have become, like I say, uh, little petty empires. Yeah. What do you imagine is the best case scenario? Are we looking, I mean, is it possible to basically curtail or completely decimate any agency's ability to make even one rule? Or is it more likely that at best what we get is the Supreme Court ruling that some sort of curtailment of their ability to create rules? Yeah, I don't think that we'll get a complete abolition of the Chevron doctrine because then that would require Congress to do its job. And I don't think Congress is ever going to accept that sort of accountability and responsibility. So I think what will happen is there will be a judicial curtailment requiring that any dispute, any any substantial, any material, any relevant dispute – be taken to an Article Three court as opposed to an administrative law judge appointed by the agency itself, thus restoring due process to the entire to the entire process. Let's talk about the the unconstitutionality of a lot of these agencies. Uh, I think the one that c- pops up to most people's minds when we hear about these things is the EPA. The EPA has created so many rules and regulations based on protecting everything. And, and I don't think they're all bad. Uh, you look at the um, you look at this condition of some of the rivers and whatever. It's like that, that wasn't made up. I don't think it was propaganda. We know, you know, companies used to dump paint and whatnot into the rivers. But these are still these federal agencies are still unconstitutional to begin with. Right. Right. It's it's all legislative powers are vested for the United States are vested in Congress. Congress cannot delegate that authority, but they do so. And it creates a situation where we do not have consent of the governed because these agencies are unaccountable to the people. They're unelected. And like I say, they become empires unto themselves. And we have James Madison quoting Montesquieu, who quoted Polybius, who said that the accumulation of judicial, legislative and executive power in the same hands is the very definition of tyranny. So we have these petty tyrannies taking control and you have no recourse. Your your only recourse is to an ALJ, an administrative law judge that is appointed by the agency itself, that your ability to appoint to appeal any decision is curtailed. We have essentially, like I say, you have no recourse. If you are found guilty, so to speak, if you are found liable for having violated this or that regulation, then the penalties imposed upon you will be enforced upon you, 
by the same agency that found you culpable, which is absolutely, inarguably, the opposite of due process of law, which is protected explicitly by the Constitution. Do you see any um, similarities between these cases that SCOTUS is going to begin hearing and uh, EPA uh, versus West Virginia? I understand that was a pretty big deal. That was that was one for the good guys. Any similarities between the two? Yeah, I think, like I say, I think we have a court that is uh, prone and uh, has a proclivity for reducing the size of the administrative state, for taking the, the, the fangs out of these agencies that have become uber-powerful. And I think that, yeah, we will see that trend continue. I think that trajectory toward restoring uh, the consent of the governed through demanding that the people's representatives clear up these laws, make these laws clear on the front end, I think we will see that the, the SCOTUS continue along that trajectory. Thank you, Joe Overton. After this, while many of us are dealing with sub-zero temperatures right now, the MSM is having a meltdown over global warming. Hey, America. How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, The New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this polished collector's edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy you can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. Here in the United States, most of us have been experiencing extreme winter weather. The sub-zero temperatures and blizzards many states have been hosting have affected travel, schools, and even the Iowa caucuses that were just held. It was during the peak of the freeze that major media decided to have a meltdown over a new report that says that 2023 was the hottest year on record and that it is propelling, quote, the world just hundreds of a degree away from a critical climate threshold. The report comes from Copernicus, the European Union's climate change service, which warns that Earth is dangerously close to a warming limit. The new Copernicus report says that 2023 hit the 1.48 degrees Celsius level. It doesn't specify exactly what happens if we pass that threshold. That's okay. 
because it doesn't take a climate scientist to figure out that there is no danger. Earth has been much warmer in the past than it is today. Receding glaciers are revealing the remains of ancient forests that used to grow far above the current natural tree line in Alaska. Or consider Greenland's abandoned Viking settlements, located beneath now-frozen tundra that was once covered with forests and even crops like corn and barley. Why, then, do so many scientists tell us that we are careening quickly towards an eco-catastrophe? World-renowned astrophysicist and geoscientist Dr. Willie Soon appeared on the Tucker Carlson Encounter last week and said this is the reason. This is the problem. The whole problem in science this day is related to funding, how science is funded. That natural, that philosophy, I wish to not get too much into it. This is part of the reason why I want to be totally independent. I get out of this whole system, right? But it's how science is it's about funding. Even if you don't get money directly, it will influence the graduate students and on and on and so forth. All these other related effects, you know? And many people are afraid to speak out. So if that's the case, what is the final objective of science funders? U.S. Secretary General Antonio Guterres opened COP28 in November, admitting that international bureaucrats are literally out to destroy life as we know it by phasing out all fossil fuel use. President Joe Biden's climate czar, John Kerry, agrees. He said, quote, there really shouldn't be any more coal-fired power plants permitted anywhere in the world, end quote. Ironically, COP28 President Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar was caught contradicting Guterres and Kerry just days before the conference. He said, quote, there is no science out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase out of fossil fuels is what's going to achieve 1.5 Celsius. Please help me. Show me the roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuel that will allow for sustainable socioeconomic development unless you want to take the world back into caves, end quote. Too bad he didn't use any of his leadership position at COP28 to stress those points, but he was right. Elimination of fossil fuel use is literally impossible and would destroy the lives of billions of people who depend on it daily. All right, Steve, you were at COP28. This was one of the things that uh, we talked about during your time there. Um, life would change dramatically if these people get what they want. Well, life would become very Hobbesian, and for millions and millions of people, it would cease to be life. You would have, um, with, without so-called fossil fuels, and we don't have time to- What kind of reliable energy? How about that? Reliable fuels. Without any reliable fuels, yes. I, I, mean, I mean, you know, without modern transportation, without modern systems of heating- I mean, people forget that all of the food, all that food in the grocery stores didn't appear there by magic. It was produced in sufficient quantities to feed America's millions and the millions in Europe and Asia and so forth by guys driving machines big, powered big by those evil fossil fuels. Yeah, fossil fuels, okay? Uh, yes, there were combines that before the gas-powered era. Okay, but there were no, and, and there were tractors as well, and they used steam engines, and you know you can still find antique steam engines all over the Midwest. People collect them that farmers yeah. used to to power their implements. But you know, a, an American farm a hundred years ago had a fraction of the productivity of a farm today. Okay, then once you produced all this stuff in the truck farms and the the ranches, the feedlots, and so forth, you know you need. Uh, you need trucks and it. trains and planes to get it where it needs to go. If you take that away, okay, you basically deny humanity the ability to feed 
probably three quarters of its population. Yeah. Which means that those three quarters are going to die off. Yeah. Okay. And, so that, that then this is not an exaggeration. People don't understand, I think, because they often don't take the time to think about it. And certainly the people who are advocating this total phase out of fossil fuels nonsense mm -hmm. that, that I saw firsthand over in Dubai, they don't understand how fragile and how intricate are the threads that hold a modern society together. If you take that away, you know, you would find that the American continent, uh, for all of its amazing abundance and ideal climate and geography that, you know, using pre-industrial techniques, you might be able to support a few tens of millions of people in North America. Okay, and that's it. And that, and that would be support people here. That doesn't figure, I mean, a lot of the grain that's grown in the Midwest gets exported all over the world. It feeds people all over the world. Okay, well, that's gone. That's gone completely. Those countries will have to fend for themselves. So people don't understand. Uh, and they don't tell you know. them. Well, a part of it is, you know, as, as I think Henry Hazlitt observed long ago, the, one of the problems with the free market is that it, it creates both abundance and extreme complexity in terms of all the chains of production that are required to, yeah. to create this stuff. And so people don't stop to think about how interdependent we really are on all of these different things. And so they come out with it with, with some idiotic proposal like this because, because of the alleged problems that are being created by fossil fuel burning. And you know, no one says it's perfect. Obviously, when, you know, I mean, the laws of physics show, you know, people like Sadi Carnot figured this out more than 200 years ago. You can create an internal combustible engine, but it's going to have a byproduct. It's going to, there, there's, it's going to, to, to emit yeah. exhaust of one sort or another that's that's impo it's impossible to get around that those are the ironclad laws of physics okay so no one's arguing that there's no such thing as pollution all right but i think it, it, so it and it's clear that you know pollution is a problem that can be dealt with so the so-called smoke in the collar problem that economists like to talk about it's a legitimate problem yeah. but it can be dealt with by appropriate local legislation this sort of thing what we're saying now is that, no, pollution is a global problem, a specific type of pollution, and that it requires a global response that's nothing less than revolutionary, well, yeah, yeah, but and that it's creating a problem that doesn't even exist as far as, I mean, you know, no one among us, I mean, they use this term climate denier for people like us. Okay, well, that's absurd on the face of it. Does it mean we deny there's such a thing as a climate? Well, no. Well, then that must mean you deny that there's such a thing as climate change. Well, no. We all know that the climate changes constantly and irrevocably. Yes. Okay. We know about so ice ages and warming periods and dry asses and all this stuff. Most people who are even moderately educated know this. And, it's, and, and this, this has been taught in schools since long before the modern climate hysteria. The issue is, is it being caused by humanity? Yes. Okay. I would, and I, that is false. As far I, as we can say, I would add, I mean, yeah. I lived out there in the West in ag country and I will tell you, and anyone who's a farmer out there or a rancher, they will tell you, especially if multi-generational, that the climate has changed. It has gotten worse. But like you said, that the crux here is, is it caused by man? And Stephen Coonan, even Stephen Coonan, who worked for Obama, he wrote a book called Unsettled, what the, what the data tells us. And he essentially says what you just said, which, which is basically over thousands of years, the weather has changed here and there, the climate has changed. And so we're going through that, but there is no proof of catastrophic man-made climate change. Yet they don't tell people that. They tell them quite the opposite. They fear them, uh, they scare them, and then they want to push this legislation. Thanks, Steve. Next up, the CEO of JBS is going to talk about how we can beat Agenda 2030 once and for all.
1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly, some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. On Monday, we reported that Tennessee's anti-agenda 2030 law has gone into effect. Today, we're joined by the CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn, to discuss the larger scope of opposing Agenda 2030 and uh, eventually winning the, the whole out battle against it. There we it's go. It's possible, right? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I love the smell of victory in the morning. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, an entire state did it. And as we said, Monday is it's like, why can't that happen? In, because the conditions that were in Tennessee to bring that about yeah. exist in many, many other states. All and you, states. Is, do, well, that's, that's how you the, think that's, so? That's how the founding fathers set it up. There you go. Absolutely. All we have to do, educate that electorate and exercise those civic responsibilities. And this isn't just rhetoric? No, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we talk about rhetoric, rhetoric versus record, yes. right? we need to make darn sure that we're letting folks know that there's hope out there, that mm. there's absolutely a plan that they can follow in order to, you know, write the republic as, as, as we like to say. Yes. Yes. And, and that's, again, that's what they did in Tennessee. And it looks like they're, they're doing in, in other states. Uh, it just, it really does. It takes work. And, and I Absolutely. think that's what's so hard. And I don't mean to dog on my fellow Americans and whatever, but it's like, we don't want to work as hard sometimes, do we? But that's what oh. it takes, eternal vigilance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. And so even with the, the states that have passed, uh, you know, certain laws and, and uh, rules and regulations, uh, you know, against Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, uh, all again from the United Nations, uh, it is important for them to be vigilant and to watch to see exactly what happens within not just their state legislature, but also the local municipalities. Mm. So, for instance, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Is this about roundabouts? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but we can certainly get into that. No, the um, uh, back in uh, 2010, 2011, we were really pushing uh, Agenda 21 as far as stopping Agenda 21. We being the John Very Birch hard. Society. We the John Birch Society, yes. And um, what had happened is that uh, many uh, states had, had introduced legislation to, to stop it, uh, curtail it, you know, whatever the case may be. But Alabama actually went the entire way and stopped uh, Agenda 21, uh, you know, full stop, basically. Yes, yeah. Well, I remember you, I actually wrote that in our Birchian booklet. Yes. Well, when you look at... Uh, at a, at a non or at a uh, non governmental organization NGO called ICLEI, mm-hmm. I C L E I, yeah, uh, which, which stands, is an acronym. Yes, yes, and it's it's the acronym's you know about uh, about twenty feet long, uh, but they they shortened it up here uh, within with the last last few years, uh, local governance for sustainability or something along those lines. Nonetheless, when you look to see if there are members of of that organization um, it, within their network, as they call it. On their, on their website, they call it a network. You go on there to see which cities or which municipalities are members. 
you will find that there are two in Alabama, okay, Florence and Birmingham. Well, how can that be if they have outlawed Agenda 21 mm-hmm. and Ickley is, is specifically for pushing Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030? <clears throat> so they need to make sure that these city legislators are understanding not just the, the state law, but also the threats yeah. that Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 show to or bring bring to the the American people. Yeah, that they pose. Important. I remember, I think it was actually one of our videos. This is before I really knew a whole lot about JBS, but there was a video showcasing the attempts of Eclay and how the JBS, uh, for instance, I think part of it was uh, the municipality, I think of Bozeman, Montana. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of pushback there. And that was actually when I learned, and again, this was what, like eight years ago or whatever, something like that? A little, little bit more, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Around 2010 is when we really yeah. had This is when I learned that Agenda 21, I think as it was called at the time, was a real threat. Like it was a thing, because mm-hmm. up until then, it's like I hadn't paid atten- attention. And then I saw this video and, you know, it's like it changed my perspective on on this this climate change deal and, and everything. And so I think, you know, it's like, I'm not a lawmaker or whatever, but we know from our, especially from our internal notes and things like that, that there are a lot of people, influential people, governors and, and lawmakers who have been red-pilled mm-hmm. with this education that we're providing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that is key because how else would you have found out about this if we would have stayed silent on the issue? Right. You know, there's not that many organizations out there that are pushing against Agenda 21 or Agenda 2030. There are a lot of organizations that are for that kind of stuff. And of course, anytime that, that uh, these initiatives from the United Nations or, or other, otherwise in regards to sustainability, um, a lot of this stuff is tied with federal Money. Funding. Yes. That's how they get them. Yes. And I know you guys were talking about that because before. what small town follow the money. Yeah. What small town doesn't need money? Yes. What city doesn't need money? Exactly. And therein lies the rub. Because if those legislators in those in that in that in those particular areas that are being approached by uh, you know legislators higher up with with these with these dollars, they should have the fortitude to say, No, yeah. don't think so, and here's why. Yes. Right? We have threats that are that are going up against our God given rights. Mm-hmm. As as we know them, and I could I could already tell you what will happen when they do that if it hasn't already happened. I imagine it already has. The local newspaper, which is part part of a chain, they're going to say city council members such and such, or the city council has decided not to take this grant from whatever, and they're going to put it. They're going to frame it in a way where it makes them look like the bad guys, because like Steve had said last, uh, not that they're totally Marxist, but. The, the machine, the cabal is so good at yeah. propaganda, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to go after these people. No, absolutely. And you, you can look at uh, that from, from any uh, topic out there. Yes. You know, in, in regards to, you know, COVID, uh, the, the shots, um, you know, climate change. I mean, as, as Steve was talking about climate deniers, right? I mean, they, they, throw, these, they throw these labels and stuff, you know, on, on folks, uh, as well as, as being racist, anti-Semitic, so on and so forth. It, it's, it is a communist tactic to try to smear your opponent, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and to go, and to go that route. Yeah. The, the, there's no facts based behind all of that and whatever facts they think that they have as they, as that one lady from the UN had said, well, we own the science and we think everybody should know it. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we, we know it. We, we know that it's, it's all, you know, a fake propaganda and, mm-hmm. and uh, false science, just like what, uh, what Dr. Soon was, was, uh, was discussing. Yeah. The, that, that's, 
That's how the whole thing is set up. The funding goes only to those who agree. And like the UN, I believe she was, I don't remember what her position was, but they, she had said that they approached uh, Google or mm -hmm. U, uh, Google and said, oh, we were shocked. We found all this information <laughs> yes. um, uh, that it does not fit our narrative. So mm -hmm. we went to Google and we told them, you better stop that. And what? guess what? Google did. Because we were some of the top uh, content creators on, on Google when you would talk about Agenda 2030, the That's New right. American, the JBS, our websites were out there. Well, we're not there anymore. So it's like, yeah. it's easy to say we own the science or everyone agrees when you've kicked everyone out of the room. Right, Exactly. And when you when you look at what's going on, I know you guys covered this uh, earlier in the week with the with the World Economic Forum mm -hmm. meeting meeting. Yeah, this we covered week. that yesterday. One of their so they they came out with a, um, a a list of top global risks. Okay, they published this just before the meeting, and uh, so it was short term and long term, two years and ten years. So what do you think topped the list uh, for 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 short term? I mean, unconstitutional government, tyranny, nuclear war, buildup of world government. Yeah, those sound like pretty... Yeah, yeah, those are all good, right? No, yeah. no, not actually. It was misinformation and disinformation. That was for the short term. Right. And then for the long term, extreme weather events. Okay, so, and as Steve was, was, was talking about, you know, in, in the last segment, well, how do you then, um, uh, I guess, control all of this? You know, what do you do, you know, from, from the top down in order to, to you know, push through all, all of this, this, this agenda... Uh, to stop these 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 misinformation, disinformation, and the weather events, right, and so right. forth, right? It is nothing short of world government. Yeah. Right? It, it is all these governments coming together based off of all of this funding. Right. If the and, threat and, is and global warming, you obviously need a global response. They yes. say this out loud. Absolutely. Like, there's no secret about yeah. that. Well, it's time we start listening. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the interesting thing is, Paul, when you take a look at, you know, what they do on the international level, and again, the, there's a hundred governments that are represented at the, at the WF meeting this week. These can all be stopped in the United States just by active citizen education. Yes, absolutely. Right? And that's exactly what we partake in. And we, so we invite everybody out there to become a member of the John Birch Society at JBS.org and ensure that the Republic is righted. Thank you, Bill. And yes, you go to jbs.org. You can go to Take Action. You can look at legislative alerts and you can become a member. We need you in the fight. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth-binding news. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>